Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It's Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman here. David, how are you today? I'm doing okay. Good to see you, Carrie. Good to see you too. Yeah. One of the things I love about the way we've been able to do this show is we get to talk to all kinds of people from some of the best known pastors in the world. We've had Tim Keller on, we've had Rick Warren on, Andy Stanley on, to um, pastors of just local churches that are very dear to their people and dear to the heart of God. Uh, and yet many of us wouldn't know their names, which is one of the joys, I think, of ministry, right? You make a difference yeah. wherever you are, and uh, and it all matters to God. But today we've got Rick Warren back on the podcast. Yeah, uh, such an amazing leader. Um, he's such a kind, kind guy. He actually reached out to me uh, uh, at the anniversary of my wife's passing and was just very, mm-hmm. very per- personally kind. And, you know, um, and the last time he was on the show, we talked about loss. And um, anyway, it just meant a lot to me that he did that. And, um, you know, obviously the the kind of leadership and legacy and the kinds of things he's working through and wh- where he's going next, all those questions are important. And, um, but anyway, it's a, it's a wonderful format for us, isn't it? For us to be able to sit here and talk about, you know, the kinds of things that leaders are dealing with from, from, you know, the, the full range of perspectives and then hearing from people in our country about the kinds of issues and pastors in our, in our pulpits around the country about the kinds of pressures they're facing. Such a privilege to be able to host this podcast with you, Carrie, to hear from oh. from all comers. It's a joy to share it with you. You know, I got to tell you this, this might sound weird, but uh, your voice, you get some very reassuring voices in your life, and your voice has been one of those for me over the years. So to be able to do this, like when we do the show together, it's like, ah, David's here, everything will be okay in the end. You know, uh-huh. it's just one of those things. <laughs> Thanks, Carrie. Well, it means a lot, and I feel the same way about yeah. you, and I think the kind of friendship that God has given us through the years and then the way we're able to, you know, have hosted this conversation, the private conversations that we have about life and leadership and all the things uh, have meant a lot to me too. So thanks so much for saying that. Well, I'm going to be in California for a few weeks. So one of my goals is to get to the Barna offices and actually do a Church Pulse Weekly in person because you and I started this right when the world shut down and nobody could leave their house for the most part. Right. That'd be so. great. Well, we'll, uh, we'll throw open the, the we'll throw open the, the doors and roll out the red carpet and get you, uh, some really good, uh, some tacos and burritos here and we'll go walk, Ooh. go walk along the ocean. I'm down for that. I'm down for that. So Rick really in this interview wants to talk about missions. And so we gathered a few statistics to see, take a pulse and see where we're at. What did you discover when it comes to missions? Well, I think one of the bigger perspectives we could have is this idea of um, global outreach, thinking globally during the time of the pandemic has has really um, been affected, right? Like a lot of people realize that so much of what they needed to do, their kind of their world shrank. And still six in 10 Christians say that providing all people access to a printed Bible is motivating them concerning global missions. Uh, we did a big study um, uh, called The Future of Missions in which we looked at uh, millennials and their attitudes towards missions, super interesting findings about some of the ways that they often feel that they're held back by the fear of their parents. Um, so r- really important mm-hmm. things there. And then uh, the most common form that. of missions, 
yeah, the most common form of mission support was churches financially supporting organizations that perform missions globally, um, as opposed to, you know, sort of local churches sending missions, missionaries overseas. Of course, many churches do that as well. But um, just like everything, I feel like there's going to be a lot of uh, new pressures, new opportunities that are placed on missions and missions work that are going forward, you know, sort of how the pandemic is going to shape that as well. Well, David, this is really close to Rick's heart as well. And we got to focus a lot on that in my conversation with him. Also, our conversation covered a lot of different topics as well. In fact, too much to include everything in this episode. So we are going to play a portion of that conversation for this podcast. But we're also going to offer our listeners an extended version of this interview on Barna's YouTube channel. So if you head on over to the Barna YouTube channel, you'll get to hear about Rick's thoughts on leadership succession and why he chose to pass the baton now, how he's resisted the temptation to give into polarization, given everything that's happening right now in our culture and politics, and what to do as a pastor when you have a vision, but it's not the right time to share it yet. So make sure you head over to Barna's YouTube channel. So that's youtube.com slash Barna Group. You can get all of that. Now let's dive into my conversation on missions with Rick Warren. Well, Rick, welcome back to Church Pulse Weekly. It's nice to be back. Uh, you guys are some of the smartest people in the universe and I love you guys. Well, thank you. We love you too. And I'm not sure about that, but it is really good to have another extremely wise and smart leader on board. And Rick, you know, we're, we're, you're changing seasons in ministry. And uh, I think most people have heard by now the search for a successor at Saddleback is on. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you're really doubling down on missions, right? In this uh, new chapter of your life. Why? Why missions? Why, of all the things you could be focusing on, why does that have your heart and your attention right now? Well, because when you go back to think, why did God even create the universe? Let's go back to to the most basic thing. Why did God even create the universe? God wanted a family. He wanted a family. He wanted a a race of individuals who chose to love him voluntarily, who weren't, uh, who who had a free will to dis, to not choose him and, and like angels, but, but he wanted children who voluntarily love him. And so God created the entire universe just to create this galaxy, just to create this world, just so it tilts on an axis to sustain human life. One degree this way in the axis, we freeze up. One degree this way, we burn up. We are perfectly sustained for human life just so we could create the human race, just so we could create you, just so he could die for you and you could be a part of his family. So why has not Jesus returned yet? You know, if that's his thing, God wants family because he's, he wants a big family. The reason Christ has not returned is um, he wants a bigger family. He says this multiple times in Scripture, in Peter, where he says, God is not, you know, God is not lazy. He's not slack in concerning his promise. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's not delaying this because he's watching Monday Night Football. He's delaying the coming because... He knows that the moment the last person who's going to receive him steps across the line, bam, we're out of here. Right. Jesus said, um, 
And this gospel shall be preached into all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end shall come. So missions predicates the coming of Christ. Um, it's interesting to me, Carrie, that in Acts chapter 1, the last thing on Jesus' mind before he goes back up to heaven in ascension is go make disciples. He, he said, in fact, it's interesting that the disciples came to Jesus in the very last moments, and they ask him a question about prophecy, which he brushes off and blows off, and he says, it's not for you to know the times of the season, but he switches to evangelism. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and the whole and the uttermost parts of the world, whole world. So they want to talk about prophecy. He wants to talk about mission. This is what's on his heart. If you want the power of God in your life, if you want the blessing of God on your life, if you want the anointing of God through your life, you must care about what God cares about most. And what God cares about most is he wants his lost children found. There is nothing more important than that. God wants a family. He loves us. He wants his love. Now, he didn't need us. He was, God wasn't lonely. God has always been in relationship to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in a love relationship. But he wants, if I, if I go, I'm so full of love, but I don't bestow that love on anything, my love's worthless. I bestow it on a pet or a person or whatever. God says God is love. Doesn't say he has, it says he is. It is his nature. It is his essence. It's who God is. We were created as objects of God's love. Hmm. That predicates mission. Love leaves no choice. The church that doesn't want to reach out is saying to the world, you can go to hell. Yeah, literally. really honest. The church that doesn't want to grow. There, now, there's no sin in being a small church. It takes all kinds of and shapes and sizes. No sin in being a small church. It is a sin to have a small vision. Every church, even a church of 25 people, is called to fulfill the Great Commission. Okay, it's not like just for mega churches. The Great Commission is for every Christian and for every church. Mm. Uh, we did um, some research. Barna did some research, Rick, in partner with partnership with Mission India. This uh -huh. hasn't even been released yet, but I would love to get your take on a couple of things. So, about four years ago, Barna did this often quoted question. They asked people. Do you know what the Great Commission is? So we did an updated thing. So let's talk about the Great Commission. A little more than half of all U.S. churchgoers, not like general population, but people who identify as churchgoers, say they are unfamiliar with the term the Great Commission. Wow. And another one in four say they've heard of it, but they can't recall its exact meaning. Love your reaction to that. Well... Actually, it doesn't surprise me because emphasis on mission and emphasis on evangelism has been going down in my lifetime every single decade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the 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 last time uh, most churches really were mission oriented or evangelism oriented was when I was uh, a young man during the Jesus movement. And, oh, in the seventies. Yeah, in the seventies. And if you go back and study all the denominations. In the, in the early 70s, they hit an all-time high in baptisms, whether they are Assemblies of God or Lutheran or Baptist or uh, Independent or whatever. Almost every denomination and, and Christian network had 
maximum number of evangelism effectiveness and baptisms, people coming to Christ in the early 70s. It's been going down in every single denomination ever since. Part of it is they're not teaching it in seminaries, the pastors are making it. When I went to seminary, it was required through the evangelism courses, personal evangelism, church evangelism, and group evangelism. And you had to take all three courses. I, I don't know that that's required in every seminary today, but um, it, it, it's interesting that we need it more than ever. Yeah, obviously we we need it more than ever. There there are only two religions. Quote: If you consider Christianity religion, it's more than that. Obviously, it's it's a life. Jesus never called it a religion, uh, but Christianity is growing and Islam is growing. Christianity has grown over the last century through conversion, and Islam has grown through birth rate. Okay, they've grown through birth rate. Now, let's look at this. Even though evangelism is not a high priority, Christians are still one out of every three people in the world. Think about this. There are 600 million Buddhists in the world. 600 million. There are 800 million Hindus in the world. There are 1.5, about 1.5 billion uh, Muslims in the world. There's only 15 million Jews in the world because the, the genocide of the Holocaust destroyed several generations. It should be 10 times that amount, but only about 15 million Jews. But there are 2.3 billion Christians in the world. Now, they're not, that means one out of every three. Now, that does, they're not all my brand of Christian or your Christian. But if you were to say to this person, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Hmm. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is Trinity. Yes. Do you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Yes. Do you believe in heaven and hell? Yes. Do you believe um, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again and he's coming back someday? Yes. Then we're on the same team. Yeah, exactly. You're a Muslim. You're not a Buddhist. Okay. You may not be my brand of Christian, but you you say I do believe Jesus Christ is who He claimed to be. Mm -hmm. I believe the word the word of God, and 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 so when you think about that, two point three billion Christians. That means one out of every three people on the planet would have an allegiance to Christ in some form, whether you know deeply uh, committed or casual or whatever. Sure. But it means that the church is bigger than China. Church is bigger than China, Europe, and America combined. We are the largest thing on the planet. We dwarf everything else. I could take you to 10 million villages. I've been in 164 countries. I could take you to 10 million villages. The only thing in it is church. Hmm is the only civil society in most of the world. The first thing in any village is always a church. Second thing is a bar. <laughs> they may not have a grocery store or a post office or a school right. and a bar. And, and I, I talked to governments about this, that if you want to have a distribution channel, nothing's bigger. We have far more distribution channels than all of the Walmarts and McDonald's and Coke and everybody else put together. We don't have any, yes, things look bleak in America, but that is not the picture of the world. When we're myopic and we see uh, unchurched nuns 
going up in America. We think that's represented the world. No, no. Revival is going on in many places. In By 2030, there will be more evangelical Christians and, by the way, more English speakers in China than in America. Wow. Didn't know that. So let's let's focus on America or the West right now for a second, because I, I, I agree with you. I think we've seen a decline in the Great Commission, awareness of the Great Commission. People aren't preaching about missions as much. How do you, if you want to inspire a vision for mission, any tips for preachers on how to do that? Like you've preached thousands of sermons. When yeah. it's kind of ignited the congregation, what has happened in your preaching? Well... Um, you know, of course, I have preached a lot of these messages. We set a goal uh, between the year 2000 and 2010 uh, to be the first church to go to every nation. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus said, go make disciples of every nation. And I thought, has any, has any local church ever actually done that? Gone to every nation? Why can we be the first church? You know, when Jesus told the disciples, go make disciples of every nation, it was physically impossible. Yeah, yeah. They, they literally, God often asked them to do something impossible. They couldn't go to Australia. They couldn't go to Latin America. They couldn't go to Canada. Mm-hmm. They, they couldn't, they, they, well, there were no planes, trains, automobiles, no ocean-bearing vessels. Uh, you either ran on a donkey or a horse or you walked. Yeah. And, and so they couldn't go. Today, you can go anywhere in the world within 24 hours. If you don't believe that, ask a travel agent. Say, I, I want to be on a mountain in the Himalayas in Nepal. They'll have you there to within 24 hours. We are the first generation. We literally can go to the whole world. Yeah. So we said at Saddleback, why don't we be the first church to actually go to every nation? Well, I didn't even know how many nations there were. <laughs> I had to look it up. Okay. Now I did, I know what they means in Greek and I, I did my mis- doctrine in missiology, but I said, why don't we just look at the physical nations? There are 197 recognized nations in the world. 197. There are 100, there used to be 196, Sudan split in half. 195 of them are in the United Nations. The only two nations not in the United Nations are Serbia for war crimes and Taiwan because China won't let them in. So we said between 2000 and 2010, by the end of the decade, we will have sent our members on what we call the peace plan to P-E-A-C-E, plant churches, equip servant leaders, A is assist the poor, C is care for the sick, E educate the next generation. We'll be in every nation by the end of the decade. Over the next nine years, I sent out 13,869 Saddleback members to every nation. And on October 18th, 2010, a couple months before we had to end the deadline, we went to Nation 197, a little island in the Caribbean called St. Kitts. Only had 35,000 people, but we went there, planted a church, equipped leaders, assist the poor, care for the sick, educate next generation. So I pastor, honestly, a church of missionaries. Hmm. Uh, when we have a guest speaker, we've now had well over 20,000 people have served. In fact, the, the head of the, of the, of the 
Peace Corps, the United States Peace Corps, told me that Saddleback's peace plan is bigger than the United States Peace Corps, that we have more people in more nations than the Peace Corps does. So we just wanted to prove that, that you could do this. Obviously, we're a big church, but we, 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 that changed the tenor of Saddleback Church. Hmm. When you have that many people go overseas and you've seen true poverty and you've seen the destruction of famines and earthquakes and all kinds of things and wars and all these kinds. When you come home, you don't care about you know a diamond tennis bracelet anymore. Yeah. It just changes your value system. And what I did uh, long before we started anything we're doing now is we reversed the missing education process. Here's what I would encourage pastors to do if you want to become a mission missional church, reverse the process. When I was growing up, I was taught mission education was this. Pray, 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 pray for missionaries. Study, 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 study. Listen to missionaries, study, study, study. Give, 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 give. Maybe someday go. What we did at Saddleback was reverse and say, don't pray, don't study, don't give, just go. Just go. We, we, we flipped it on its head and said, just go. Why? Because I knew that if they'd go, when they came back, they want to pray, hmm. study. They want to give. We just flipped it. And the way you build a mission-driven church or a missional church or an evangelistic church and we found that when we sent them overseas, they came back to care more about their neighbor. Yeah. That all of a sudden they had a bigger heart for the poor in Los Angeles. And 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 uh, the, the lost uh, Muslim who lived next door hmm. and, and things like that. So we just flipped it. Uh, and and what, what I believe we need to do is what I call the great reversal. For 2,000 years, all missions, 100% of missions was done through local churches. Until about a thousand, uh, 150 years ago, there were no mission boards. Right. Okay. There were no mission boards. Uh, everybody, if missionaries left local churches to go to, in the last 150 years, we have had the 501c3 attention of the church. There are now over four, 45,000 uh, Christian 501c3s uh, in North America. Okay. Now, why did those start? Mom and pop mission agencies and big ones too. Why does Because the church stopped doing its job. Mm. And people had to go outside of the church when they got a heart for Thailand or for Haiti or for whatever. And so we said, we're going to build a church with an umbrella that you don't have to go outside the church to fulfill your mission, to go out to fulfill your ministry. You can saddle back as the umbrella of over 500 different ministries that are, you know, bikers ministry and prison ministry and deaf ministry and on and on and on. So it, 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 I would say reverse it. Get people yeah. on the field. We'll be back to today's conversation in just a moment. But as you know, as a busy church leader, when you stop and think about all the things you do every day, they begin to add up and they add up quickly. Your church has grown because of all of your hard work and your endless hours. But now 
Maybe it's time to hire help. But let's face it, hiring is complicated. We're in the midst of the great resignation. The right person for your church doesn't seem to exist. That's where our friends at Belay can help. Belay is a modern staffing solution with over 11 years of experience, and they have successfully matched thousands of clients with virtual assistants, bookkeepers, social media strategists, and web specialists. That's why they're offering our listeners a free download of their resource, Five Ways a Church Bookkeeper Can Transform Your Day. All you need to do is text the word PULSE to 55123 for your free download. Again, text PULSE, P-U-L-S-E, to 55123. Today's episode is brought to you by MediShare, an affordable Christian alternative to health insurance that saves typical families around $500 a month. That's a month. The past couple of years have reminded us that we should never take good health for granted. And we know that the cost of health insurance can be a significant financial stressor for leaders and for the families they serve. MediShare is a great alternative that has been helping Christians solve this problem for nearly 30 years. Through their services, MediShare members share in each other's medical bills and pray for one another. Over $1 billion was shared in the past year alone. Plus, every member has unlimited access to free telehealth and virtual counseling sessions, a great resource for both leaders and members in your church. And like I mentioned earlier, the typical family on MediShare saves around $500 a month when they switch from their traditional insurance. As you're well aware, it's open enrollment season. That means right now, it's the best time to make the switch. So to learn more about MediShare and see how much you could save, go to MediShare.com slash ChurchPulse. Again, that's MediShare, M-E-D-I-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash ChurchPulse. And now back to the interview. Well, Rick, and you know, that leads us to the second data point. And I think you've already kind of offered a commentary on it. But Barna also asked Christians in North America, how should you reach unchurched people with the gospel? Like, how should they be reached? 35%, number one answer, said we should reach them by sending Christian missionaries to share the gospel. It's a top answer. 18% said give them Bibles. 18% said planting churches. Hmm. Any thoughts on that? Well, we're actually building our mission program for two different things. Uh, and this is how we respond to that. One of them is that when Jesus sent out his disciples on missions, he sent out the 70 and then he sent out the 120 uh, in, in uh, Mark 10 and Luke 10 and Matthew 9 or those three passages, when he sends them out, he sends them out with 17 instructions. Do this and don't do this. Do this and don't do this. To my knowledge, there's not a single mission board that's following those 17 instructions. Wow. I, I don't know why, but I just decided we're going to follow the 17 instructions that Jesus gave. Now, I, don't, I won't go through all of them, but let me just give you a couple of Yeah, examples. give us a couple of random samples. Uh, Jesus says... Uh, when you go into uh, uh, go, don't take a purse. Hmm. What does that mean? Don't throw money at it. What Americans typically want to do is when they go overseas, they want to buy and build, buy and build, buy and build. And what you do when you buy and build, you create dependency, um, you rob them of dignity, you create you people go, what have you done for me lately? You create a, a almost a colonial uh, attitude. Mm -hmm. of, was partners. The harvest has 
the resources they need for the harvest. So we don't blow money. We don't take large amounts of money in. We do training in 197 countries and we empower them. We, 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 they don't need a handout. They need a hand up. They need, they, they need trade, not, not aid. And, and so what we do is don't take a purse. Jesus said, um, when you go, don't take a staff. What does that mean? Well, a staff, obviously, he's not talking about a walking stick. What you talking A staff is a symbol of authority. You ever seen a bishop walk around mm -hmm. with a, a staff? It says, I'm the one in authority. You're not. I'm the bishop. You ain't. And what they're saying is, don't take a staff. Don't go as an authority. Right. Go as a servant. We, what do you need us to do? How can we serve you? He says, when you go into a village, eat what is set before you. Okay. Now, obviously, he's not talking about dietary loss. He's basically saying, adopt to the local customs and culture as much as possible. Mm. So I, I helped plant a church when I was a teenager in Nagasaki, Japan. So those people know I planted a couple of other churches, a rural church, an urban church, and an international church before I started Saddleback. And uh, in, in Japan, they often serve me things that I didn't like, but I love the Japanese, so I learned to like it. Mm -hmm. And the point there is the higher principle is adapt to the culture in right. as long as it's not, you know, violating some, some scripture. But one of the most important things Jesus says in those 17 instructions, he says, when you go into a village, find the man of peace. And he says, if you find that man of peace and he welcomes you, he's open, he's adopted, you know, open to what you're doing, you, you stay in that house with him and you bless him. Said, so if he doesn't, if the man of peace doesn't accept you, you know this passage, dust the dust off your shoes and go to the next place. Because you can always find somebody who is open and receptive. Now, who is the man of peace? This is a key missional principle for every church. Who's the man of peace? You got Jesus said it's one of the keys to win in the world. Find the man of peace. First, it doesn't have to be a man. It'd be a woman. I've been in, it means they're open and they're influential. They're open to the gospel and they're influential. Now, I've been in villages where the grandmother was the, the, the woman of peace. But if she liked it, everybody liked it. And she goes, mm -mm, nobody likes it. Hmm. It's, it's, they're open and they're influential. So you go in missions and you find uh, the man of peace. Now, this works both locally and globally. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's the, here's the big shocker to most people. The man of peace or the woman of peace does not have to be a Christian. You say, well, mm. what? Why? Because when Jesus sent him out, there were no Christians. Yeah. He hadn't died on the cross. He hasn't resurrected. He said, just go out and find somebody who's willing to work with you. I have found many non-believers who were people of peace around the world. I found politicians. I found business leaders. I found Muslims. I found some atheists, some gay people. Now, obviously, my goal is to win that atheist to Christ. But the, the issue is, if you're, you're, we're working on, let's, I'm just saying, uh, the reduction of AIDS. Well, then we can work on that together. Or we can work on poverty reduction, things like that. You're building, my definition of evangelism, you build a bridge from your heart to theirs and Jesus walks across. Hmm. So I would say the first thing is 
learn those, and, and I can teach you those, the 17 things that Jesus told to do. And I don't know a single mission board that's following those 17 things, but we've been doing it uh, for a long time. The second thing is the second model for your church, go study Acts 2. Everything you need to be a missional church is in the sermon and uh, the, of the day of Pentecost with, with Peter. And there, again, look behind the, the, um, the, what's happening for the timeless principle, the timeless principle. And, and for instance, in, when the Holy Spirit came, which obviously is the first principle of a missional church, we have to completely depend on the Holy Spirit. It's God's power who makes the church different from every other organization. We have something nobody else has. We have the Holy Spirit. Okay. And, and so he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be by witnesses. The purpose of, of, of the Spirit is to empower us for mission. Now, here's the problem with that's one eight may be the most misread verse in the Bible by pastors because they think it's sequential when it's actually um, simultaneous. It says it doesn't say it says it doesn't say you'll receive power with the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, mm-hmm. then Samaria, then the end of the earth. It says and. In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the Israel. It's not sequential, it's simultaneous. Most pastors I know go, Yeah, I care about missions, but first I'm just going to reach my community. Hmm. Yeah. Once I reach my Jerusalem, uh, then we'll go to my Judea, which is my county. And, and then once I reach my county, uh, then we'll go to Samaria. That's like the non, uh, the culturally different people next door to me. Uh, and then eventually we'll go to the whole world. It doesn't say that. If you, if you are a church of 25 people, you have to be an and, and, and church in some way. You have to have a local and global vision, or as Bob Roberts calls it, a local vision. Yeah. Global and local. So Pentecost gives us about 10 things. Uh, for instance, you know, the, you know the point of Pentecost, it says everybody heard in their own language. Mm-hmm. Okay, the miracle of tongues was the miracle that they all heard in their own language. Yeah. So the Arabs heard in their language and the Persians heard in their language and the, all these people who come from all over the world, they all heard in their own language. What is, what's the timeless principle behind that? We have to use every available communication channel. Right. Okay. We have to use this is the miracle of multi-channel and the miracle of multicultural communication. What was God doing in Pentecost? He's reversing Genesis 11, the confusion of Babel. Mm-hmm. Confused everybody's language and they split up. Now, Acts 2 is the antidote to Genesis 11. He's letting everybody hear in their own language. And and the point on that, pastors, if you're listening, is that Everybody in your church can reach somebody nobody else can. Some people speak the language of mothers of preschoolers. Hmm. Don't speak that language. Some people speak the language of sales. They're salesmen. Some people speak the language of accounting, art, or music. Some people speak the language of hip-hop, or they speak a sport or a hobby. Some people speak the language of retirement. In 
a missional church, in a purpose-driven church, in a church committed to the Great Commission, you use every language and every communication tool possible. Wow. So I know as we're uh, kind of winding down the conversation, you have given a name to your focus. You call it finishing the task. Can you tell us a little bit what that's involved and uh, what your role is with it? Little little historical background. When I was uh, 18 years old, I had been preaching. I started preaching when I was 16. Hmm. Before I was 20 years old, I had preached over 120 harvest-type crusades. Before I, as a teenager, I had preached over 120 evangelistic crusades on the West Coast, up and down the coast. Billy Graham hears about this long-haired teenage kid, takes me under his wing and mentored me for the next 50 years. Um, Before Billy died, he did three great congresses on evangelism uh, in Amsterdam, Amsterdam 83, 86, and 2000. He had me come and speak at each of those, where we brought in 13,000 Christian leaders to train them in evangelism. And one day he took one of my books and translated it in 17 languages. Well, in in the third of those, uh, Amsterdam 2000, he said, Rick, I want to track where we bring in the top mission leaders of the world to talk about completing the Great Commission. And we brought those about 700 of them together. Paul Eshelman was the leader of that program. I was on the program committee with him. Paul Eshelman was the uh, founder of the Jesus film. Oh. And all of these uh, people, Paul and I helped plan the program, and then we invited all these mission leaders. Out of that, uh, one day uh, there was a challenge to why don't we reach the final frontier that even today there are tribes that have no known gospel, no known believer, no church, no Bible in their language, and we call these the unengaged people groups. Now, let me just explain to everybody the difference between an unreached people group and an unengaged. An unreached people group, in mission terms, means less than 2% of the the area is Christian. That's unreached. So for that matter, San Francisco could be an unreached people group, okay? If less than 2%, some some cities could be uh, that. An unengaged means what I call the three Bs, no Bible, no believer, no body of Christ. Hmm. In 2000, we thought there were about 600 of those tribes left uh, in the world. 600 that had no Bible, no believer, no body of Christ. Um, the reason they haven't been reached in 2000 years is because they're small. Hmm. They have less than 100,000 people. Okay. And so if you're translating, you're going to translate a Bible for 4 million people, not for 40,000 in, in the prioritization. Okay. Now, a, a, um, a people group, I'm going to make up a people group. Uh, Romanian bikers. Okay. I'm just making that up. Romanian bikers. They might have 40,000 in the world, 20,000 in Romania, 5,000 uh, spread out in New England. Uh, 3,000 in, in Buenos Aires, and the others are spread over in, in Asia. So it doesn't mean they're even in the same place, but they have no Bible, no believer, and no body of Christ, no church. So we started uh, um, a group called Table 71. 
because there was a table there, which we found it around. It included the major uh, groups like Youth with a Mission, the International Mission Board of the SBC, Campus Crusade for Christ, Wycliffe Bible Translators, American Bible Society. These are the giants of mission. Uh, and we started this group 21 years ago. We uh, Saddleback started hosting an annual conference for what we call finishing the class. And it's a different kind of conference because it's not a preach a thong where people come and just preach at everybody. But a lot of the time we're sitting around tables going, who's going to take that group? Hmm. Who's going to take that tribe? And, and our goal in FTT, Finish the Task 1.0, was to get two full-time missionaries for three years in each of these tribes. Well, over the last 21 years, we kept finding more tribes. Hmm. The group grew to 3,600 tribes rather than 600. But right before COVID broke out, we had the last uh, of FTT 1.0 conference, and we were down, we had gotten them all down and I said, whatever's left, Saddleback Church will take those. We will we will adopt those. Uh, now, it didn't mean that they had been reached. It meant that some organization or church had said, we'll take that people group. Right. And make sure. So they're, they're adopted. When we got to the end, there were 60 left, 60 tribes left, and they were all deaf tribes. Deaf tribes. Everybody speaks American Sign Language, ASL. Some some deaf places, they don't have any language at all for deaf. Wow. So you have to get a visual Bible, just like you have to have an audio Bible for blind people. And so we started to work on that, and we took that down. Now, uh, uh, two years ago, Paul Eshelman retired from being the leader of FTT because uh, his wife passed away. Kathy, a sweet, sweet woman, passed away. And um, I was chosen by these groups, Campus Crusade, IMB, Wicklitz, and others, uh, to be the leader of FTT. And I'd like to come back and talk to you about that sometime in detail. But I, I, I want to leave you with uh, what we're doing and, what we, and how every church can be involved in this. But here's the big idea. If our, if our calendar is correct, if this really is 2021, if this really is 2021, it means we're 2021 years from the birth of Christ, which means that AD 33 was when Jesus went back to heaven after the resurrection, okay? And the last thing he did before he went back on the ascension is he gave the Great Commission. The Great Commission was given in AD 33. And what that means is that 2033, which is 12 years away, 2033 will be the 2000th anniversary of the Great Commission. Yeah. Okay. That's 12 years away. So I have challenged organizations, and we're building the largest coalition in history of Christian organizations, and we're involving Catholics, and we're involving uh, Orthodox, and we're involving Pentecostal and Reform, and we're involving churches and organizations. We already have over uh, 1,600 organizations that have signed on for the next 12 years to make sure that we get a Bible in everybody's heart language, hmm. a lever in each of these unengaged, unreached people areas, and a body of Christ, the church. Uh, established in every unreached people and every unreached place. 
It's a 12-year goal, and I am resigning from Saddleback Church to lead that for the next 12 years. That in detail sometime. Oh, that's great. Well, Rick, can't thank you enough for making the time to be with us and encouraging thousands of pastors again today. We're so grateful for you. Thank you. This won't be the last conversation. Pray for the pastors, Karen. I would love that, Rick. That'd be fantastic. It's all yours. Lord, we, we love you, love each other. And I thank you for these church leaders who are listening right now and uh, pastors, planters, staff members, uh, elders, deacons, uh, whoever they are. I'm asking for you to do a couple things. Lord, first, protect their health, their physical health. Uh, this this uh, pandemic is not over. And even if they don't get COVID, there's so many other things that can uh, drain their body and their immunities. So I'm asking for you to protect their health during this time when things aren't healthy physically. Second, I'm asking you to protect their mind. There's so many distractions. There's so many divisions. There's so many things that are, uh, it's easier to get in trouble for something you say today. There's this cancel culture and and, and people are on, on edge and there's so much division. I'm asking for you to give them the tongue of the wise, as Proverbs says, so that uh, shut our mouths from saying stuff that would cause us to, to cause harm to the body of Christ. And uh, I pray, Lord, that you would give them a double portion of your spirit. What you've called them to do, you have equipped them to do. They've studied to do. They've prepared to do. Now I'm asking you to anoint them to do. Lord, I want to, I want to encourage them and just say congratulations for, for still being around. When I talked to so many who gave up in the last 18 months, and I know that uh, there are many who are probably listening feel like they're ready to throw in the towel. They're ready to give up. Lord, don't let them do that. Help them to realize that their ministry matters to God. That it has nothing to do with the size, has nothing to do with the, the um, size and significance of no comparison. That, Lord, uh, what we want is healthy churches of every size. And that's what we're praying, is for church health. Lord, these leaders, these pastors, are going to have to be rebuilders, just like Nehemiah, coming out of this pandemic. And uh, I pray that they would learn the skills of rebuilding because we're all going to be doing this together as we work to serve you for the global glory of God. Bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Hmm. Well, I'm sure that won't be the last time we talk with Rick Warren. I always enjoy the conversation when we're with him, and I'm so grateful for that prayer and his heart for leaders. We also want to remind leaders to check out the extended version of my conversation with Rick over at Barna's YouTube channel. You can just search that on YouTube, or the technical name is youtube.com slash Barna Group. So that'll help you get there quick. Once again, we want to thank our sponsors, Belay. You can learn more about changes that will come with hiring a bookkeeper for your church with Belay's free resource. It's a download called Five Ways a Church Bookkeeper Can Transform Your Day. To get it, 
Stop what you're doing right now, unless you're driving, then that could be dangerous. But text the word Pulse, P-U-L-S-E, to 55123 for your free download. That's Pulse to 55123. And of course, to MetaShare. It's open enrollment season. So go to metashare.com slash churchpulse to calculate your cost savings and see how much you could be saving on health insurance by switching to their services today. Leaders, as always, thank you so much for listening and hanging in there. If you want more conversations like this, uh, you can follow us and subscribe to stay updated each week. And we'll catch you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.